Cord here monitoring the situation in Texas. So far, 21 dead. And I guarantee you three things about this shooter that we'll find out. One is that he will be a loner. Two, that he'll be unhappy. And that almost always goes together. You don't find loners who are happy with rare exceptions. And three, going to find out that he was doing this to get a feeling of importance. So almost everything we do is to get a feeling of importance after we meet our basic needs. And so good people and decent people get their feeling of importance from doing good and decent things. And indecent people get their feeling of importance from doing indecent things. Third, as we open our hour tonight, we're getting very sad news from Uvalde, Texas. That's a city of about 16,000, 60 miles from the Mexican border. A gunman, a teenager, walked into an elementary school in Uvalde just a few hours ago. He shot and killed 18 students and one adult. Police responded and killed the shooter. He has been identified as 18-year-old Salvador Ramos. Joe Biden is expected to speak in just a few moments from the White House in a, we hope, respectful and nonpartisan way. We'll see. He's returning tonight from a trip to Asia. We'll be covering it for you live so you can assess. But first tonight, Fox's Bill Malugin comes to us directly from the Texas border town tonight. He joins us now. Hey, Bill. Tucker, good evening to you. Rob Elementary School is right behind us right now where this horrific mass shooting took place. And unfortunately, the number of fatalities associated with the shooting has gone up from 14. Texas DPS now confirming to Fox News there are 18 deceased children at this school, as well as one deceased teacher. That brings it to a total of 19. Absolutely horrific news. I just got off the phone with the mayor of Uvalde a short time ago, Mayor Don McLaughlin. He told me two of his staffers just found out that they lost loved ones in this school shooting. They lost children in this school shooting, and they aren't the only ones. I want you to take a listen to this interview we just shot with a dad out here a short time ago. He does not know where his 10-year-old daughter is. She is a student here at this school. He is desperately trying to find her. Take a listen to what he had to say. I was at work, and then I got info that my daughter was at school where they were shooting, and, and I was waiting for more details, and nobody never called me back on detail. And now I've come back in town looking for my daughter, and I can't find her now. And this is his little girl. Take a look at this photo right here. This is 10-year-old Annabelle Guadalupe Rodriguez. He told us she is a student here at Robb Elementary School. Again, he has not had contact with her. He is desperately looking for her. He told us he has provided this photo of her to Texas Rangers in an effort to try to find her. So many parents going through this exact same thing tonight, desperately looking for news on their loved ones, wondering if their little boys or their little girls are still alive tonight. As for the shooter in this incident, we can pull up this photo right here. Texas Governor Greg Abbott identifying him as an 18-year-old local named Salvatore Ramos. Uh, he was seen on video entering the school with what appeared to be a handgun and possibly a rifle. What we are being told is he was involved in some sort of a domestic incident earlier in the day, potentially shot and killed a loved one. His grandmother then got into a vehicle drove here to the school, abandoned it, and then went into school and just started shooting indiscriminately. Absolutely horrible. You can take a look at other scene video here uh, from the scene of this shooting as well. What we have also learned is that a U.S. Border Patrol agent was injured by gunfire 
during this mass shooting. CBP sources telling me that Border Patrol agents responded to this mass shooting, as all law enforcement does when a call like that goes out, and one agent was struck and injured by gunfire. Uh, we do not know the extent of those injuries. There were rumors circulating that there was some sort of immigration nexus to this shooting. Uh, CBP sources telling me that is absolutely not the case. There was no Border Patrol pursuit. There was no Border Patrol involvement other than agents attempting to respond to the scene. But Tucker, as I wrap this up for you, we were just over at the Civic Center earlier tonight. It is heart-wrenching over there. There are parents and families waiting in a private room. We got the door opened up and we looked inside and those faces are somber. You can hear a pin drop in there. There are some in the hallways who have clearly already gotten bad news. They are crying, they are bawling, they are sobbing. There are others on pins and needles waiting, waiting for anything, waiting for any news of their child, knowing that at any point in time they can get a phone call that can change the rest of their life. It's, it's a horrible thing and you feel for these parents just waiting and wondering if their little kids are okay. But the latest numbers, 18 deceased children at this school, which is for second, third, and fourth graders. Those are mostly seven, eight, and nine-year-olds. One teacher deceased here as well, Tucker. We'll send it back to you. Ah, come on, that's awful. Bill Malugin, thank you for those facts. As he told you at the open, we are awaiting the president's address from the White House. That comes in about 10 minutes. As we also told you, we sincerely hope that Biden will use this moment for once to unite rather than divide the country to keep it nonpartisan and respectful. That's what this moment demands. Very hard to find politicians in this time of hysteria who are capable, much less willing to do that. Lieutenant Governor of Texas is one of them. We're happy to be joined by him tonight. He is, of course, Dan Patrick. Mr. Lieutenant Governor, thanks so much uh, for coming on. So you are the Lieutenant Governor of the state in which this happened. Tell this us your thoughts. Uh, Tucker, since uh, I was elected uh, back with Greg Abbott uh, back in 2014, this is now the fourth major mass shooting that we've had. We had Sutherland Springs, the church. We had the Walmart in uh, El Paso, Odessa. And then four years ago, four years ago and one week, we had the shooting at Santa Fe where we lost eight students and two teachers. And I will tell you, Tucker, that I've been to a lot of funerals and a lot of services, a lot of hospitals. Nothing compares to what Bill just said about the loss of a child. And I think yes. when crimes like this happen, this is pure evil, that it impacts a whole nation. Every parent, every grandparent that has a child envisions what what they would feel if it had happened to them. This is something that goes to the core of our soul, all of us. And, and, and I hope the president tries to unify and not divide us on this because we as a nation will, will always remember this. These children at this school, as adults one day, will never forget it. These teachers, this community of 16,000, the school system only had 4,000 students in the entire system, Tucker. So these are crimes that get to the very core of who we are as people. Yes. And I think as people, we have to look internally. And, and how did we get here? This was an evil act. We, there's a lot that we're going to learn and it's going to unfold in the days and weeks ahead about this shooter. But tonight, we've got to unify in prayer. We have to unify in faith. We have to unify in who are we? Where, where Tucker, when I grew up and most of the people watching grew up and you, we didn't have these situations. We didn't have mass shooters in our schools. We didn't have this evil. And so we really have to look at us as a people, as a country, um, because we can do a lot of things. And Texas has done a lot of things after the Santa Fe shooting. Uh, obviously, we have to do more. We have to harden these targets so no one can get in ever except through one entrance. Maybe that would, would help. Maybe that would stop someone. But it's really bigger than that, Tucker. 
it's we're a coarse society. We're a, we're a society that's just at each other's throats all the time. And 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 we're better than we're better than. If we want to unify, is it easier to unify if we have things in common? Is it easier to unify if we have more and more in common? Is it easier to unify if we say share the same religion? Is it easier to unify if we share the same race or ethnicity? Is it uh, easier to unify if we share share the same culture? Is it easier to unify if we share the same language? Is it easier to unify if we have more and more and more in common? Obviously, it's a lot easier to unify if we have more in common. And what happens in the, the more more homogeneous societies, such as in, in Europe and Northeast Asia and, and Australia and New Zealand, these kind of events are rare. Right? I guarantee you three things about this shooter. Number one, he was a loner. Number two, he was unhappy. And 99.99% of loners are unhappy. If you're a loner, you're not at risk necessarily of going out and shooting people, but you are unhappy. And if you're unhappy, you're going to be of much less benefit to people around you than if you're happy. You're going to make much less money. You're going to volunteer less. You're going to be less of service to people. You'll be less useful. And it will be a burden for other people to have you around because happy people do not have, generally speaking, rational reasons to allow unhappy people in their lives. So the unhappy are antisocial by definition, and the antisocial are unhappy. And one way that you can spot the antisocial is that they tend to be in extreme political movements, right? People in extreme and marginalized political movements tend to be marginalized personalities, Marginalized personalities are much more likely to engage in antisocial behavior. And for all those people who say, hey, I'm just shitposting, well, the Buffalo shooter and Salvador Ramos in Texas, these guys were just shitposting in real life. So, no, shitposting on the internet does not mean that you're going to go out and start shooting people, but it is not disconnected from the rest of your personality. Right? If you get attuned and comfortable with shitposting on the internet, you're going to be much more likely to behave in a shitty way online. So there's just been some awful public commentary. And here's Juliette Kayem. She's a national security author, highly acclaimed by the news media, and says this shows that uh, Joe Biden needs to suspend immigration enforcement in this area of Texas because of standpoint, I'm going to do what the facts uh, tell me now. So I've got demographics, first of all, an 80% Hispanic school district. So the most important thing for the federal government to do right now is to say there will be no immigration enforcement during this period in that er area. Did, did you get that? She's just got to talk about facts and this shooting to the best of our knowledge had absolutely nothing to do with immigration enforcement. From a f investigation standpoint, I'm going to do what the facts uh, tell me now. So I've got demographics, first of all, an 80% Hispanic school district. So the most important thing for the federal government to do right now is to say there will be no immigration enforcement during this period in that er area. It, is, it has a large immigration population. You want parents with their kids. You don't want people hiding right now. And we need to make that clear ASAP because of the political issues in Texas. 
Okay, here's Again, more from her. I don't know motives. We don't know motives. Um, I am just telling you demographics. It is a predominantly Hispanic uh, population uh, with a large immigration immigrant community uh, near, near, relatively near San Antonio. We need the federal government to say right now, everyone is essentially safe harbor right now in terms of immigration status. We need people to come forward, not to be fearful of immigration status, get their kids, get their family members. Uh, because what happens in, in incidents like this is when we're going to have a strong police presence, a strong federal presence. We know this. A lot of people do not react, especially if, if their status is unknown, do not react to police presence as you or, or you or I may. And we want to make sure that they know, despite all the politics that are going on in Texas right now, it's the federal government that's in charge of immigration enforcement and people are safe. Get your kids, get your families together. Do not hide. And I, I mean, the White House just needs to say that right now. It, this should not be delayed. Right. So we should not enforce immigration law. And and people who are uncertain about their immigration status, we should try to make them feel safe. And uh, those in Texas who want to enforce immigration law, well, they're just they're just playing politics, right? And she's above and beyond politics, right? Because she's an expert of Texas. Uh, Ken Paxton, who we should note is on the ballot today. It is election yeah. day in Texas. Attorney General Paxton said moments ago, quote. People that are shooting people that are killing kids, they're not following murder laws. They're not going to follow gun laws. I'd much rather have law-abiding citizens armed and trained so that they can respond when something like this happens because it's not going to be the last time, unquote. The victims, of course, 14 elementary school children uh, and a teacher. Um, what is your response to Attorney General Paxton? So I, I, I want to take his statement seriously because this is obviously the the sort of winning political stance in term winning in the sense that we don't get changes to gun laws. Uh, and so I want to take his claim seriously. And, and, um, and the first is obviously uh, we aren't, we aren't arming elementary school kids, obviously. We don't arm them uh, and, and they were defenseless. I, I can't describe enough um, how defenseless they were. I mean, once he decided it was this school, there's almost nothing you can do with that. So I don't even care what kind of gun he has. There's, there's, there's likely no uh, security presence there. We tend not to, tend not, school districts are just prioritizing and they tend to focus safety and security on high schools. Maybe there's a locked door, maybe there's a locking system, but we don't know. Um, and so, you know, basically it's done. Once he decides to do it, it's done. The second is the issue of arming teachers, which is clearly going to be part of this political debate um, in the future. So arming teachers is, is only going to work if, uh, if there's, you know, the teacher him or herself is able to stop the perpetrator. And that's making a huge assumption. So instead of trying to play defense all the time, arming everyone in school, which is clearly going to lead to more deaths rather than fewer because of accidents or, or things getting elevated, that's what most of the data shows, uh, you want to play a little offense uh, against these kind of attacks. And that in involves things that uh, that Paxton is bringing up. He's, you know, that he wants us not to talk about guns because he wants to uh, 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 talk about whatever's animating this person. But that's so defensive. I mean, think about it as a parent. Like, 
you're just, you know, it's like, you're just, you're, you're just going to play defense all the time and like, like cross your fingers that the teacher's armed. I mean, it's just, we, we don't do that in any other situation. So just, I want, cause I want to take that at face value. I'm already getting a lot of hostility about, you know, on, on Twitter and social media, people are, are obviously animated. I'm just going to just address it as he intended, as the attorney general intended it to be addressed. I just want to focus on one other thing. And we are talking about the past and who this, this perpetrator was. We're talking about the future and gun controls. It- okay, so many errors of logic there. Because you want to play defense in some areas, does that automatically forestall wanting to play offense in other areas? No. So even if arming teachers is just so defensive, that by no means precludes taking whatever offensive measures are are available. Uh, second, sometimes life forces you to play defense, right? There's nothing inherently wrong with playing defense, right? Do you think defensive football players, they just walk around with really low self-esteem because they're only on defense? No. You don't always get to, to choose the time and the place of some kind of confrontation. Sometimes the enemy will take it to you and your only choice for a while is to play defense. Now, also, the, the, she thinks that arming teachers, that the primary purpose of arming teachers is so that they take down bad guys. No, the primary purpose of arming teachers and arming decent people is to provide deterrence. Right? The best thing is to not have to go to war, is not have to start lighting people up. Right? That's not the primary purpose of, of arming teachers. The primary purpose of arming teachers and arming law-abiding citizens is to provide added deterrence. Right? The harder a target is, the less likely it is to get hit. Uh, maybe there's a locked door, maybe there's a locking system, but we don't know. Um, and so, you know, basically it's done. Once he decides to do it, it's done. The second is... A- right, a locked door is a form of defense. You don't hear saying, oh, that's so defensive, right? A locked door is a form of defense, but that's a form of defense that she's all on board with, right? So sometimes defense is bad, but if it's a locked door, then then defense is good. And it never occurs to her that just because, say, a school might lock its doors, uh, that doesn't mean it precludes other measures for protecting his kids. So the issue of arming teachers, which is clearly going to be part of this political debate um, in the future. So a political debate, okay, a political debate is inferior, it's, it's partisan compared to uh, turning things over to experts such as herself, because she's above and beyond politics. So arming teachers is, o- is only going to work if, uh, if there's, you know, the teacher him or herself is able to stop the perpetrator. No, that's not the only reason to arm teachers. She says the whole, the only reason to arm teachers is if the teacher can stop the perpetrator. No, a purpose of arming teachers, the primary purpose is to harden a target, is to provide deterrence. I think people would be less likely to behave badly if more decent people were armed. So, Here's a car crash recently in Los Angeles. Look how people behaved. Do you think they would have behaved this way if there were armed citizens around? So, car crash in Los Angeles. Group of homeless surrounds it. Starts to lose it. The driver tries to flee, ends up crashing into another car. The thieves then pull him out of the car and beat and rob him. Okay, so do you think these people would behave this way if there were 
openly armed law-abiding citizens around them. I suspect that they'd be a little more shy about looting a car than just being in a car accident. He just hit another car. What an idiot! He ran straight into it. He's drunk. I think he's drunk. Oh, he's gonna beat the kid. He's hanging his ass out now. Look. Oh. I got it. I got it. I got it. And uh, why isn't Luke Ford arguing that we should just uh, trust the experts yeah, on this one? Never argue that we should just trust the experts. We have to understand all advice critically. We have to use the best methods of analysis possible. I simply don't side with automatically distrusting experts. I don't side with automatically dismissing experts. I don't automatically side with, oh, wisdom lies with the people. They always know better than the experts. Sometimes the experts are right. Sometimes the people are right. right. I just don't go for any easy magic key. Oh, just trust the wisdom of the people, mate. We don't need no stinking experts. Sometimes expertise is incredibly valuable, and it's more important than what is popular. Sometimes what is popular is uh, more important than what the experts are telling us so let's get some more Tucker I was at Sandy Hook in the hours after that happened it's a moment that will never ever leave you it's a tough night for for America talk to you really awful about this one Bill Hemmer thank you so much so Joe Biden is about to address the country in response to the mass shooting in Uvalde we'll bring that to you in a moment you can know that if the president uses the deaths of children to try to make himself more powerful. He really is a loathsome man unworthy of leading this country, but he may not. He may rise above it and try to unite this country, in which case he will get praise from us and from every American. Some are not doing that, however. Some have gone lower than you even imagined. A congressman called Ruben Gallego just tweeted this, quote, just to be clear, F you, Ted Cruz, you effing baby killer. Can you imagine? What do we think of Ted Cruz? He did not shoot anybody. It's a horrible thing to say. Nancy Pelosi released a statement saying this, quote, it is time for all in Congress to heed the will of the American people and join in enacting the House passed bipartisan common sense life-saving legislation into law. Of course, they jump at any opportunity, including the deaths of children, to make partisan points. And then a character called Juliet Kayyem, a former Obama administration official at DHS, said the shooting is proof we need to get rid of immigration laws. She said that on CNN just a few hours ago. From an investigation standpoint, I'm going to do what the facts uh, tell me now. So I've got demographics, first of all, in 80 percent Hispanic school districts. So the most important thing for the federal government to do right now is to say there will be. Okay, she's got demographics. So she's saying that when you don't know much about reality, simply knowing the demographics is incredibly important. Even when you know a great deal, knowing the demographics is incredibly important. Yeah. Demographics matter. Demographics are incredibly important to understand what's going on in the world around us and what are the prospects for us in the place we live, what are the prospects for people we care about, what are the prospects for our country. Right? When, when America takes in millions of immigrants, I mean, those demographics are with us forever. So, yeah, demographics really matter.
be no immigration enforcement during this period in that er area. It, is, it has a large immigration population. You want parents with their kids. You don't want people hiding right now. And we need to make that clear ASAP because of the political issues in Texas. So a normal person, decent person, stands in reverence and awe and deep sadness before a tragedy like this. A filthy person jumps in to figure out, how can this make me more powerful? That's what you just heard. Judge Janine Pirro is the co-host of The Five. She joins us tonight. Judge, thanks so much for coming on. Um, you really do learn about people in the immediate aftermath of something like this, don't you? Well, you know, what you just saw is really the epitome of the politicization of a tragedy. Some people are so... Look, there are probably instances where one should uh, back off in immigration enforcement if that will bring people forward and make them more likely to cooperate with, with law enforcement. So what, what Juliet Kayyem was saying is not absolutely ridiculous in all situations. Right. I, I'm sure maybe in some situations a message that uh, right now we're much more concerned about mass murder than we are about people's immigration status. That would be an appropriate message. Now, we're going to get the love and healing from Joe Biden tonight. Dennis Prager writes a column today. Joe Biden's Buffalo speech was the speech of an indecent man. An American president has ever given as mendacious, anti-American, and hate-filled a speech as President Joe Biden did in Buffalo, New York last week. I'm not familiar with it. He used the terrible mass shooting of black people in a Buffalo grocery store to smear America, divide Americans, and foment race-based hatred. So in Joe Biden's speech, he listed all these examples of white supremacist uh, mass shootings. And uh, one of them was by a black man, Jeremy Smith, who shot and wounded three women of Asian descent. So why Joe Biden included this shooting as an example of white supremacy is a puzzle. By no mainstream media I could find noted and condemned this lie is not puzzling. So we have our hate fomenting president mentioning six examples of white supremacist shootings. Total of two, one of them seven years ago, involved a white racist shooting black people. One involved a sex addict killing sex workers. One involved a black man shooting Asian people. One involved an anti-Semite targeting Jews. One was a black man who shot Asian Americans. So Joe Biden went to a grieving black community to lie to them, to stir up anger in them about the alleged scourge of white supremacist violence in this country. And why did Biden do this? To focus Americans' attention on white supremacy rather than on the inflation, looming recession, food crisis, and energy crisis he and his party's party have created with their policies. And second, to keep black Americans voting Democrat by saying that you need our protection from your fellow hate-filled Americans. So 10,000 black Americans were killed in 2020. About 90% were killed by other black people. But to Joe Biden, his party, and the mainstream media, those black lives don't matter at all. Why not? Because they weren't killed by a white supremacist. They therefore don't serve the Democrats' deliberately divisive narrative mental health as an excuse, the insanity defense, then we get into the issue as to whether or not they are, you know, present in the moment and know what they're doing or whether they're just using insanity and turning it on and off like a light bulb. I don't know what will happen here. Obviously, the shooter is dead.
But we've got to recognize that our children are most vulnerable. They are literally sitting ducks in these schools. And I know in Texas, they have SROs, school reporting officers. And apparently each school district, I've heard, makes a decision as to whether they want it. And there are some people who don't want uh, 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 police officers in schools with guns because other people are triggered. Enough of that. We need to protect. Our job is to protect our children. Yeah, well, I think everybody feels that way. 350 million people in the country. It's, it's hard to keep people from doing bad things. It's, I, I would personally like to know why they do it. I think that might be really helpful. Well, you know what? If they're gonna, if they're gonna do that kind of thing, you know, they can't. They're not human. Anyone right. who kills a child is an animal. I'm of sorry. Course. I, I'm sorry. And you know what? If they want to kill themselves, although I understand that he, he apparently was shot, um, you know, if you want to take your life, fine. But you don't take people with no, you. No, of course. I agree. Judge Very Ian, thank sad. you. So there are more questions, of course, than answers. A few people have been able to do actual reporting from the scene in Uvalde. Allie Bradley is one of them, an independent journalist. She interviewed a former classmate of the shooter. He was outside the school when he first heard gunshots. Allie Bradley joins us tonight. Ali, thanks so much for coming on. So uh, I don't have a clear picture at all of the guy who did this. What did you learn? Well, the classmate here tells me that he was in school with him two years ago. He says he hasn't seen him at the school since then. He said, obviously, something happened. He said he, quote, must have turned bad. Now, Tucker, he explained exactly what happened, what he witnessed. They live on the street that this happened on, that they saw this truck rush by. They saw it crash. They saw him get out. They saw the funeral uh, people working at the funeral home nearby run over and kind of rush to the aid to see if that guy was okay. And that's when the shooting really started. And he saw him run over, hop over the fence, and get onto those schools grounds. Now, I asked him what kind of person he was in school. Take a listen to what he had to say. And I heard three gunshots, and they started running, so I went inside, and I was telling, hey, get down, they're shooting, and I heard more shots go off. So, tell me what it was. You had one period in class with him. What kind of person was he? How would you describe him? Well, he was, um, how did I say? It was a long time ago, so it was P.E. during sixth period. You just chill, just chillax. It didn't seem like the type of dude to be, you know, it's the, what do you say, sketchy, you know? Mm -hmm. Would you ever have thought he would have gone into a school Absol and killed no. 14 kids? No. And you said that he, he dropped out of school. Oh, uh, well, I'm assuming because uh, junior year, I did not see him at all. At okay. all. And senior year, I did not see him. So I'm, I'm assuming he dropped out. Dropped out. But, yeah, just crazy. You think things went south after he dropped out of school? I think so, because back then, he was, you know, a little bit chubby. Right now, he's, well, the pictures I saw, he's skinny, has, like, cheekbones like this. But, yeah. Now, did you hear that his girlfriend was in, was making threats to other schools around this area? No, I didn't know. Did you know, you didn't know who his girlfriend was? No, then? I didn't know. Okay, but you did go to that school. Oh, yeah, I was right there for four years. What does it feel like to stand here and know that that's what happened? at your old elementary school. Oh, I feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. Because yesterday, I was walking through them. I was walking and high-fiving all the kids there. And I don't know if I high-fived a child that's no longer with us. Now, Tucker, as soon as I was uh, talking with them, I ran over and I actually talked to a family 
whose son survived all of this, a third grade boy. You heard the previous guest there, the judge saying that these kids are going to have PTSD. This kid says he doesn't want to go back to school. He's traumatized. He said he did not feel like he was going to survive. I asked him if they went through any active shooter training, if he knew what to do. He said, no, we were all at recess. He saw the guy shoot up into the air and he goes, I heard him go pow, pow. And he goes, I knew he was serious at that point about hurting people. This is a little boy who, again, is scared to go back to school at this point. Awful. Alan Bradley, even now, it, it's interesting how little we know about the man who perpetrated this. So I appreciate your addition uh, to what we've learned. Thank you very much. So it seems like shootings like this are more common. They're certainly more common than they were 30 years ago. On Sunday, a man called Andrew Abdullah allegedly shot and killed a man on the subway in New York City. Police say the attack was random. The victim was just heading to brunch and was killed. Abdullah surrendered to police just hours ago. So on some level, what we can say for certain is that there are a lot of crazy people hurting others. There is what they call a mental health crisis in progress. What's causing it? What can we do? Buck Sexton, a former CIA officer, joins us tonight. Also a lifelong New Yorker, I should say. Um, so I, for some reason, I mean, the New York Times just ran a piece the other day saying that hallucinations from schizophrenia are actually cool and you shouldn't worry about them. There is this kind of weird unwillingness to face what's clearly a mental health crisis in the face, and I'm not sure why. Well, it seems to me, Tucker, that we're going to be looking at the missed signs, and that's what so often happens. Yeah, so the less people have in common, the more likely they are to just go deranged, right? If you feel united with other people and you see signs of mental health crisis, you're much more likely to do something. But in a dislocated, disunited, individuated America, people are going to be much less likely to try to take action when they encounter crazy people. All right, we've got here video of the Instagram account. So apparently Salvador Ramos was messaging some girl that he barely knew to kind of hint about what he was going to do. This is the Instagram profile of Salvador Ramos. He is the shooter in Texas, Rob Elementary School. This is his Instagram. Not many posts, just this one, it seems like. That's a photo of him. Photo of him. Photo of him with a clip. A lot of people are commenting on his Instagram right now. Look what people are saying. They're not happy. People are not happy with this. Another school shooting. Look at the comments. They just keep going. Comments. People are commenting every minute. At this time, there's over 500 comments. So people are just letting their feelings be known to this individual. Sad, another mass shooting, school shooting. So the shooter seems to have something of a sexual identity crisis. I mean, there are photos out there of someone who looks like him you know, dressed in women's clothing, don't know if it's him or not, but there's something kind of weird about his androgynous vibe. See the comments? Just keeps going and going. People have been commenting for 45 minutes now. This is a fluid situation, so people were quick to find out who this shooter is before he was identified by the media. The media has not identified him yet. I'm sure when this video gets posted here on YouTube, we'll probably be the first one saying his name. But yeah, this is this is the Instagram profile, S-A-L-V-8-D-O-R. Real name, Salvador Ramos. This happened at Rob Elementary School. 
in Texas. 197 followers. He's following 43 people. It's just see who he's following so he can have an understanding of his network, friends, not saying any of these people are involved, just saying that he was following these individuals. So this is a conversation he was having on Instagram. Gonna repost my gun pics? What? What? What are your guns got to do with me? Just wanted to tag you. I'm so confused. Right? This is the girl he's trying to impress. Why? Be grateful I tagged you. No, it's just scary. I barely know you and you tag me in a picture with some guns. Hey, I'm about to. So he's a stranger. I know nothing about him. He decided to tag me in his gun post. I'm so sorry for the victims. So I'm about to what? About to what? Good morning. I'll tell you before 11. Good morning. What? I'll text you now, but you have to respond. I got a little secret. So he was trying to impress some girl. Now, times like this, when our country is so in mourning and divided, we all want to hear the soothing tones of Richard Spencer. This is from Sunday night. A number of times, and it needs to be hammered home. But the notion that the religious will inherit the earth and what that entails, you know, more specifically for our society. So it's, it's very true that, as I mentioned today in our talk, you know, I, I forgot the exact statistic, but basically for every one baby that a uh, high-level Protestant woman has, like a wealthy liberal Episcopalian or Presbyterian or something, an evangelical Christian or fundamentalist will have two and a half babies. And that go, it's basically the same for an atheist. So for every one baby an atheist has, a fundamentalist has two or three. And so you can kind of tell this story of a general, you know, demographic replacement, and it wouldn't even need to take that much time. Obviously, these things are compounded. So presumably, at least those three fundamentalist babies will also have three children, whereas that one atheist baby will have one child. And it just so then it's a nine to one, you know, advantage and so on. And even adding to that, um, you know, lower class people who are more likely to be fundamentalist are going to have children sooner. So they'll have a baby at 18 and then another one at 22 and another one at 26 and the atheist woman will have a child at age 32 or something so there's almost two generations in one so i mean you can see how this will just compound itself and become a pretty dramatic demographic replacement um interesting but okay that's spencer giving his skepticism that the the religious really will inherit the earth all right let's get back to tucker with an update on what's going on hey brett Hey, Tucker. Tough day, obviously, with everything coming out of Texas, but it is Election Day, primary Election Day in five states. You mentioned Georgia. That's a big focus. Herschel Walker winning the Senate nomination on the Republican side. Not a surprise. Had a big lead going in. He is now the nominee uh, for the Senate going up against Raphael Warnock, uh, the incumbent Democratic senator. The big race in Georgia, the governor's race, former Senator David Perdue against the current incumbent Brian Kemp. That's really a proxy battle a little bit with former President President Trump endorsing Purdue and Vice President Pence endorsing Kemp. Uh, Kemp had a big lead going in. We'll see what turns out uh, today. So far, it's too early to call any of that. Um, and you have some other interesting races, like in Texas, Henry Cuellar, the Democrat, moderate, going up against a progressive, believed to pull it out, but there's been a lot of campaigning by progressives to try to take him out. Uh, Sarah Sanders in the governor's race in Arkansas. She looks like to be cruising on to a GOP nomination there. Likely the next governor of Arkansas since it's pretty deep red. Amazing. And there's so much going on. Thank you for following that. Brett Baer, appreciate it.
Joe Biden will now address the nation from the White House. We're going to take that. Okay, uh, just getting some audio here of the the shooter Salvador Ramos just a few hours before he went on a on a rampage. Like a fucking hundred times, I am so mad. I am so fucking mad at these people. They don't do this to fucking me. We're gonna fucking ritualistically humiliate them. I am coming back here every fucking weekend if I have to. Like this is never over. I win. They fucking lose. That's how the world fucking works. Little fucking kites. They get ruled by people like me. Little fucking octoroons. I fucking my ancestors fucking enslaved those pieces of fucking shit. I rule the fucking world. Those pieces of shit get ruled by people like me. They look up and see a face like mine looking down at them. from the White House. We're going to take that in just a moment. But before we do, we want to go back to Uvalde, Texas, scene of today's tragedy. What do we know about the man who committed this atrocity? Julio Rosas is a senior writer at townhall.com. He spent a lot of time in that part of Texas and joins us tonight. Julio, thanks so much for coming on. Um, we, we seem to know very little about this man. What have you gathered? So, so far we've gathered that uh, information about when the shooting happened is that actually the, the shooter uh, had body armor in addition to a rifle, which is actually reminiscent to uh, the shooting in Buffalo. So not only, unfortunately, yeah. where we have an armed individual, but we also have an uh, individual with uh, protection. Interesting. Uh, 18 years old, from the area, Bill Malugin told us there's talk online that it was part of a DHS pursuit. That's not true. Um, killed his grandmother beforehand, and we have heard from one of his classmates from two years ago that he didn't perceive any signs of distress in this shooter. Do we know anything else? And do you think it's weird that we don't? No, uh, no, and, and that's the that, that's you know the problem with these situations is that we don't uh, have the full picture yet because this happened only. Okay, it doesn't seem to know anything. So let's get some. A level political commentary here from Sunday night, Richard Spencer. I think that people like Ed are wrong in assuming that this will entail the revival of Christianity or so on. And they they seem to kind of not they dance around actual issues. I mean, the, the fact is, um, uh, you know, Christianity by all accounts is that is, and when I say Christianity, I mean organized Christianity by all accounts is slowly declining. There really isn't any exception to this. Now, interestingly, mainline Christianity seemed to have a little bit of an uptick over um, the COVID period. But that also, I mean, what do we read into that? Will it also have a downtick later on? But the fact is, the unaffiliated, that is agnostic atheists and so on, are at the same percentage as evangelical Christians were during the Bush administration. And Catholicism in the United States is clearly declining. And it's actually losing members because, you know, if anything, if Hispanic immigrants become, or if they maintain so it was a Border Patrol agent who shot and killed the gunman at uh, Robb Elementary School today. He entered with a tactical team while Texas law enforcement officers were engaging with the barricaded shooter. The agent was injured, but it was a Border Patrol agent, apparently, who shot and killed this uh, school shooter. In their Christianity from birth, they will gravitate towards evangelical Christianity. So... 
this is a really big demographic issue, and it just seems indisputable that organized Christianity is on the decline. Now, it's also true that what remains of Christianity will likely become a little more hardcore or something. And you can see that in, um, you know, the, uh, you can see that even in the dissident right or whatever. Okay, Twitter says, given the results, Georgia's Republican voters have gone for ultra MAGA, MAGA light, MAGA, DMAGA, post MAGA, and neo MAGA. Where you have this like tendency that if you're going to be a Christian, you'll want to adopt a kind of hardcore, you know, I'm a trad cat or, or whatever. But just because a generation is polarized doesn't lead me to believe that a that this is a widespread phenomenon. I mean, the amount of support for say transsexuals and gay marriage and so on is all but universal among millennials and Gen Z. So there is a just generational change going on on these social issues. And so the notion that Western societies will become more religious, at least as that is expressed as organized Christianity just strikes me as extremely incredible. And so I feel like Ed is dancing around these things and he's saying, well, there's going to be a decline and then it will go up later or whatever. And America is delayed. And Airbnb, being a so-called supporter of communist China, from Europe, but Europe has suffered a decline, and there is no reason at all to believe that Christianity in Europe is set for a revival. So I just, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of want to call out wishful thinking amongst a lot of these people because they they kind of like the idea of conservatives having children and they think that this is going to happen. It's going to change society. I, I generally think Christianity is just going to continue on long-term decline. And I don't, I don't know. It, it seems just kind of hard for me to get around that. Now, will religiosity necessarily decline? No. And I can see, like, I also agree that in religiosity, what I mean by that is just that emotional feeling of dogmatism and calling out heretics and so on. I, I don't think that is on decline. I think that will continue to increase and become intense. But that doesn't lead me to believe that we're going to have a society where, you know, the megachurches are going to make a comeback and, you know, Catholicism will be revived or so on. I, I just don't see it. I don't know why they keep arguing this. But what do you guys think? I could probably say something. Sure. Um, I think that. So, but let's say in the future when we were, we have a kind of more established culture or religion or cult, um, that these types are harmful you know, when they have too much of that sort of feminine will to power as it is, um, they become harmful, not just because they, you know, like the sort of conservative theories that they're going to be grooming all the kids and that sort of thing. I mean, obviously, that would be a concern if you had a priest that was homosexual, that would be a concern. Um, and you, you wouldn't want that, right? Um, but it's more that the social dynamic that these sort of um, dominant, like kind of alpha feminine types um, assume in a, a, you know, cultural religious movement, that is problematic in the sense that it, it does create... Um, uh, disunity, like, you know, in here again, I'm going to be careful. It's not, um, I mean, it's, I'm not going to go on something about infighting and unity and that sort of thing, because really there has to be some infighting in the sense that I, we have to like develop the right idea to move forward. And that's going to be a process of exchange and discussion and communication. Um, so I'm not in that I'm not classing as infighting and that's not infighting. That's actually discussing discussion and debate, uh, in an, in a, in a kind of adult and civil and honest, um, in a, uh, good faith manner. Um, that is good, and that's not infighting. But what some of these sort of feminine types do is they turn that into infighting and fracture the movement in that way. Um, and I saw this with um, uh, you, Richard, and uh, Greg Johnson early on, is that, like, I don't, I think that you had some instinct to kind of, like, keep the guy at arm's length, but you were still, like, willing to be friendly and work with the guy. 
Um, yeah. But he insisted on turning some ideological difference that you had into like basically, uh, you know, grounds for like full war against you. Right. And I, I'm thinking, you know, there were oh, yeah. a couple of things, but I'm thinking of the petty nationalist, like uh, the, the petty nationalist pan-European discussion that you guys were having. Like he, that could have just been a civil dis disagreement or, you know what I mean? Yes. But, <laughs> or even like a productive, like, um, uh, like virtuous cycle, you know, where it's like, oh, well, you know, being strongly rooted leads you to like being having a greater conception than just the nation state or something. Like it, it could have been handled, but like the guy, it's just insane. And the other thing is that he will just flip on positions in order to uh, like find some way that he's like opposing me. I mean, the, the, the thing with- I remember Richard Spencer came hard at me on DMs uh, trying to convince me that I should never speak to Greg Johnson. Like Richard took time out to talk about what a toxic person Greg Johnson was. This was uh, 2017, I think. Milo was just so obvious. He hasn't done this on Ukraine. I don't think he will now support Russia or something. That, sure. But um, oh, yeah. but who knows? But uh, yeah, the the Milo thing was pretty remarkable. It was like um, uh, he was calling. I think I I think I retold this a little while ago. But so Milo was the face of the alt right basically in the summer of 2016, and he was doing all of the in the in the fall. And he was doing all these college tours that were funded and getting a lot of traction. And he actually did one college tour that said how to destroy the alt right. And it was a kind of ironic argument because he basically said this is how you destroy the alt right: you build a wall and you end affirmative action and you stop the diversity talk and you end feminism or something. So it was it was basically like you destroy the movement by giving it what it wants or something. And it's like okay you know fair enough i guess i mean it's it's just so in uh may of 2018 uh richard spencer dm me could we talk look i like you you've been fair i'm afraid you're a little too interested in intra-movement drama having greg johnson on to bash me i've heard reports why do this and i respond hey richard when i have a guest on i don't set limits on who they can criticize I asked Greg to talk about trajectory of the alt-right in reaction to George Hawley's speech. I interviewed Greg in the exact same way I interview you and everyone else. Your name did not come up when I arranged the interview. The trajectory of the alt-right was the topic, and he made his comments. I would never cut off a guest from disagreeing with someone's decisions. Then he cut off a guest if the guest made libelous assertions. And uh, Richard says... Greg Johnson is just so toxic. He doesn't argue in good faith. I'm fine with serious criticism. Indeed, I'm seeking it out. I would not be against talking with you behind the scenes. I won't respond to Johnson. The topic itself offered him the opportunity. It was predictable what he'd do. I find Johnson so disgusting that he taints your show. It's not fair to you, not rational. I, and then he shared a link to a Greg Johnson sermon. He says it gets that Greg Johnson's sociopathic nature nature he literally presents himself as a christian and he acts like a priest fact is johnson has attacked everything i do since 2013 he attacked me during Bud budapest he attacked me before Hailgate for not being hardcore and for not denouncing milo and after Hailgate and after milo's demise he attacked me for ruining the alt-right fact is he doesn't feel bad about our recent travails he's rejoicing he just makes my skin crawl matt forney is just matt forney he's kind of gross but he can be smart and uh, Richard says, Jared Taylor won't have me anymore, but promotes Greg Johnson. That's his loss. I just listened to five minutes of Greg Johnson's narrative about the alt-right and his role. I had to turn him off. He presents himself as the moderate who is pro-Milo, pro-alt-right, and against defining the alt-right as white nationalist. This is the exact opposite of his positions in 2016. He was... 
Greg Johnson is a liar in my humble diagnosis. He's a sociopath. I'm sorry to jump on you, but everyone is so naive about this person. Everyone thinks he acts with good intentions. This is, so I asked Andrew Joyce about this and uh, Andrew said, oh, this, this conflict between Greg Johnson and Richard Spencer is just all about ego. And Richard responds, I don't see Greg Johnson as a rival. This is not my ego. He's just an annoying pest. But good luck. And uh, then uh, Richard Richard blocked me back in May 2018. It was a, I did not take it as some like attack, to, to the contrary. And Andrew Anglin called for a jihad against Milo. And then he... And, uh, and then Greg Johnson was going on there like, we're just waiting for Richard Spencer to denounce Milo. This, he's this flamboyant homosexual who you know, wears dresses and you know, uh, is, is just ruining our mood. Just this like the passive aggressive. Yeah, 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 the irony is just like dripping off of me. It's just, and it's like, I'm, I'm not in the business of denouncing people. I, I don't go around like vehemently, you know, like I, Richard Spencer, like, you know, I'm calling you out to like, like prepare the pyre and, you know, throw you out. I mean, it's just not my deal. No, I did. It's, also, it's like a power play. It's a power play on the guy's part too, in the sense that like, Oh, I got Richard. Okay, let's uh, go back to the end of Joe Biden's speech and talk Will you go to Texas, sir? President of the United States, sir, frail, confused, bitterly partisan, desecrating the memory of recently murdered children with tired talking points in the Democratic Party, dividing the country in a moment of deep pain rather than uniting. His voice rising, amplified only as he repeats the talking points he repeated for over 35 years in the United States Senate. Partisan politics being the only thing that animates him. Unfit for leadership of this country. Will Cain is a man we trust. He often fills in on this show. He's also the host of Fox and Friends Weekend. Will Cain, what a moment this would have been if he had stopped a sentence in and said, we're going to pray for these families and let's, let's let this marinate for a minute. Let's stand respectfully before a tragedy. And, and Joe Biden has lived tragedy, so he could, he could say that with some credibility. He moved immediately into some DNC rant off a cue card. That's the president? What a moment this almost was. For yes. there a moment at the beginning of the speech, it sounded like he might bring this country together, talking yes. about the loss inside someone when they lose a child, the hole that never will be filled, quoting scripture, which is so important in this moment. Tucker, yes. because what we're suffering from culturally is a rot of spirituality, a loss of meaning. And then you're exactly right. He turns and he turns and gets animated when it's time to cast blame, when it's time to point fingers, when it's time to be partisan. You know, he can't point to a single law that would have stopped this shooter because he doesn't know what this shooter did yet, what gun he used. He knows nothing about the details of this crime. And so therefore he knows not, not what law he could offer that would solve this crime, exactly. which reveals it was just simply partisanship. I've been listening to you tonight, Tucker, and I do share this, this sentiment with you. It's a true reflection of character and not limited to the president of the United States. If your first no. instinct is to turn to partisanship, if your first instinct is to blame those who disagree, you know, I know you're probably familiar with this, Tucker. David Foster Wallace gave an amazing speech once where he said, you don't get a choice of whether or not to worship. You get a choice as to what you worship. And what we are right. seeing people worship politics. And if that's the case, they'll sacrifice anything for their own right righteousness, for their own narcissism, for their own partisanship. I mean, to stand before the image of murdered children and right. your first impulse is, 
I can be more powerful if only I leverage this in the right way. That, that's what the president of the United States, I'm, I'm in shock having seen the president of the United States call for, you know, more power for himself. That's his answer? Well, the only reason I'm not in shock, Tucker, is I was around and so were you when I saw Barack Obama stand on the graves of yeah. dead children as well. And so this was somewhat anticipatory. You could expect this would be what would happen. And again, Tucker, I've been listening to you tonight and you've been asking some important questions. For example, I heard you ask Judge Pirro earlier in the show, do we study these things? Do we study yeah. these shooters? How can we stop them in the future? You know, in the 80s, we put together a behavioral science unit at the FBI to stop serial killers. Now, these guys in these situations often kill themselves. We can see what makes them tick. We can do more. We can put money into protecting schools. We just gave $40 billion, Tucker, to Ukraine to protect and rebuild that. And we do study mass shooters, and overwhelmingly, it's not a partisan or a political or an ideological thing. And uh, Colin Liddell had some pretty sharp commentary, like very soon after after the shooting. But he he made some good points. Let me go to his Twitter right now. Yeah, if you're triggered, you're not critiquing. If you're critiquing, you're not triggered. And uh, Colin says the timing suggests a copycat effect from the Buffalo shooter. And uh, he says, I'm off to Pole and Kiwi Farms to find out if the shooter dropped a manifesto. And then Colin notes, there are often causes and reasons to go on a spree shooting, but the key for many shooters is finding some sort of twisted justification. So causes and reasons are very different things, right? and justifications. Salvador Ramos. That country, we can't afford to protect our schools. We immediately put money into protecting schools from COVID. By the way, much of it, which is not yet used, could be used to protecting schools. There are things we can do, but the most important thing, Tucker, is figure out what's going on culturally with this country. We are callous, yeah. we are partisan, we are not spiritual, and we have lost meaning. I hope we will not let politicians leverage our grief to make them more powerful for their aggrandizement. It's really disgusting, if mm -hmm. I can say. Will Kane, I appreciate your coming on tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Tucker. So our Bill Malugin was just about to report breaking news as he was interrupted by the grotesque partisan display you saw from the White House. So we're going to go back to Bill Malugin in Uvalde, a town 60 miles from the Mexican border. Hey, Bill. Tucker, good evening to you. Just got off the phone a short time ago with some Border Patrol sources. What I'm being told, it is believed that an elite Border Patrol BORTAC agent is the one who shot and killed this school shooter today. A BORTAC agent is the elite of the elite of Border Patrol. BORTAC stands for Border Patrol Tactical Unit. They have a fast response mechanism. I'm told that that BORTAC agent went in with his tactical group, with other agents, they formed a stacking maneuver while Texas law enforcement was engaged with the shooter who was barricaded. They came in from opposite sides. The BORTAC agent ended up exchanging gunfire with the shooter, killed the shooter, and I'm told that the BORTAC agent was injured in his, in his leg. They're trying to figure out if he was shot in the leg or hit by shrapnel. So that is the latest update we have there, a combination of federal law enforcement with Border Patrol working. Okay, so there are some absurd over-the-top reactions they're shooting one of them is by Joel Swanson. He's a graduate student in history of Judaism. He's a columnist all around malcontent, according to his Twitter bio. I do hate myself, but not because I'm Jewish. And he tweets, 
The U.S. is a failed state. Our leaders aren't capable of governing. We aren't capable of providing the basic needs of the people who live here. We aren't capable of holding back the rising tide of fascism, and everyone kind of knows it, but our politicians pretend otherwise. Okay, where is it better? Uh, the U.S. is a failed state. It's the most powerful nation on earth. Uh, the United States has flaws, but the idea that we're some kind of failed state is absurd. And uh, Matthew Iglesias nails it. He says, for all those very real problems, one shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the contemporary United States of America is one of the best places to live in all of human history. And there's a reason. Tons of people of all kinds from all around the world clamor to move here. There are a billion people around the world who would love to move here. So, no, the United States is not a failed state. The United States is a flawed state. And so I was looking at a comment I got uh, a few hours ago from Guru George. Maybe you don't feel how bad things are because you are a reasonably well-off establishment guy who signals correctly. Really? Really? Do you know anything about me? You think I'm an establishment guy who signals correctly? Although you are intellectually curious, you're not actually a distant or a radical whose voice is being stifled. Well, no one's voice is being stifled. Anyone can post on Odyssey. There are all sorts of places on the internet where you can speak without being stifled. Nor are you a working class guy in a no-hope town, nor are you stuck in a high crime hellhole unable to find someone to start a family with or unable to find a path to gather the resources to do so. Yes. So that's largely because of my genetics and also in part because of good decisions I've made and also because of good luck. For a lot of people in the United States and here in the United Kingdom and in many parts of Europe, for substantial minorities, particularly whites, things aren't going so well. True. But compared to the rest of the world, you're, you're pretty well off, right? When you say things aren't going so well or the U.S. is a failed state, compared to what? Right? Where, where is it so much better? It used to be that people who were well off felt some kind of moral obligation to sympathize with their less fortunately situated fellows. That seems to have gone out the window. Oh, really? So who does give charity? Like, who does donate money? It's overwhelmingly from very rich people. So our very rich citizens have not given up donating money to causes. Now, many of the causes, I think, are absurd, but you can't claim that the rich people in, in America have just given up on their fellow citizens or feel no obligation, right? Uh, Mackenzie Bezos you know, donated a whole ton of money now to primarily left-wing groups, but you can't say that she feels no obligation to a fellow citizen. Fact is, governments all over the West are, for several reasons, failing in their most basic responsibilities. Yes, that's true. They are, but that doesn't mean they're absolutely useless. It means that they have some failings. Guess what? I have failings. You have failings. Everyone has failings. Every institution has failings. To take one example, you'd think that protecting the most vulnerable people in your society from predators would be one of the most basic jobs of government, yet the government here in the United Kingdom has failed several hundred thousand young British girls in many British towns in that most basic task. Yes. It's a severe failing, but that doesn't mean that Britain is a hellhole. Similarly for the pushing of trans fads on young children. I agree. Parallel situation regarding black crime in the United States, immigrant crime in Europe. And then on top of that, very often the people who are suffering most are being excoriated the most. Given that, a lot of people are beginning to wonder what the point of the damn thing we call government is, for it seems to serve nobody but the oligarchs who run it in their cosmopolitan lick spittles. So that's me. I'm a cosmopolitan lickspittle. Okay, so if he's really wondering about the government and how it serves nobody but the oligarchs who run it, 
then let him move, right? Go to where it's better. Go live in Africa, right? Go live in North Korea. Go live in South America. Go live in Mexico, right? You think all the first world industrialized nations have governments that serve nobody but oligarchs? Then get up and move. You don't believe it. You're just being dramatic, right? People... People love to be dramatic. They love to overstate their case because they feel like if they don't scream and uh, get all emotional and you know become filled with, filled with rage, then uh, then no one's going to listen to them. He's he's actually not afraid to shoot someone. Are you scared to go? You don't. Do you have to go back to school now? I think you're out of school, right? I do not want to go to school because I'm traumatized now. So how close to the shooting were you? What, how, how, how far would you say it happened from you? I'd say like a couple, um, a couple feet. Wow, a couple of feet, wow. You know, Tucker, this little boy, he's telling me that he didn't think he was going to survive. And to, to be that young and to have that feeling, it's a really, really tragic thing tonight. Oh, it's just the worst. Thank you for reporting from the scene, Allie, thank you. So we've got about 55 seconds left, and we want to go to our friend Dana Lash, resident of Texas, for a reaction to what we've seen today. Hey, Dana. Hey, Tucker. It's awful. I have to say a quick thing about the president's remarks. I mean, immediately going in, it started out well enough, but then he started raising his voice and yelling. You know what the gun lobby is? There's no there's no old-timey gun lobby. The modern gun lobby, it's voters. It's people who go and cast their votes to protect themselves. Nothing was said about the parents. Nothing was asked about school security. It's irresponsible. America deserves better than President McUnity with his hatefulness and divisiveness. He ought to look into the scripture about bearing false witness if he wants to cite the Bible. Nicely put. I agree. That's one of the most dispiring things I've, I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot. Dean Lash, I'm uh, sorry we didn't have more time. It's great to see you. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow, hopefully with better news. Have a great night. And welcome to Hannity. And we start tonight with a Fox News alert. Tonight we are tracking multiple breaking stories, including results from primary races all over the country, five states tonight. But we begin tonight in southwest Texas, where just hours ago, an evil 18-year-old named Salvador Ramos shot his grandmother and then stormed into a nearby so, elementary school. So Joe Biden isn't allowing this a massive school shooter to diminish his sense of humor. So he, he cracks a joke. The idea that an 18-year-old kid speech. can walk into a gun store and buy two assault weapons is just wrong. What in God's name do you need an assault weapon for except to kill someone? Deer aren't running through the forest with Kevlar vests on, for God's sake. It's just sick. The idea that an 18-year-old kid... Okay, he's willing to make jokes about deer running around with Kevlar jackets on during, during his speech. Way to, way to unite the nation, Joe. Like, basically, I got Richard to say... Exactly. My, you know, you I got him to do what I wanted, yeah. and I don't do that. He did that with Roosh as well. Like, we need to denounce Roosh, and I, I did not denounce him. There's this endless getting someone to denounce them, which is just stupid. I'd never denounce Roosh. I don't think I have. I'd make... I mean, Richard, come on, you do the same thing. It's fun of Roosh. I've been like... The only reason you don't do this anymore is because you don't have the pull on the power. Who's this fucking guy? Like, he's now a traditional Catholic and, you know, uh, you know, whatever. But I, I'm not going to, like, denounce, I mean, to denounce someone. But anyway, I, I eventually did throw Milo under the bus in 2017 after the pedophilia comments. And I was like, all right, this is just too much. You, you've got to just, 
you've got to come to terms with this at some level. Like you've got to just say, I was really wrong. This is, I was not, I was, he was clearly not joking when he made these comments. So it's like, I was just wrong. I've, you know, just, just move past it. But you, there's just no way you can defend those comments that he made about joking about being abused by a priest and then claiming that you've witnessed child abuse, but then you haven't gone to the police. I mean, for the love of God, I mean, there's just no way to defend this, you know? I mean, it's just like, this is the line. This is the line, you know? Like you did it. <laughs> it's pretty simple. And, um, and I, you know, whatever. And then he flipped again and he was like, oh, Milo is so great and he's more mainstream or whatever. It's like, all right, so now you're defending Milo. I mean, it's just so obvious. And so just, it just shows the bad faith, like malevolent quality to him. It's just this endless, like, it is priestly in the sense that it's about, like, you have to do that. Like, this is the dogma. This is what we're doing. We're denouncing people now, blah, blah, blah. It's just, I just find it unbearable. And I think the other thing about it is that, you know, whatever you want to say about me, I always imagine that I'm talking to smart, open-minded people outside of the movement. Greg Johnson is talking to the movement. He is like gazing into its navel. And I, I do think that that's a big difference because demanding people, like if, if someone, imagine someone who's like just a smart person, like he's a lawyer, lives in New Jersey, and he's interested in these ideas. And he goes to your Twitter account and he sees that you're demanding that other people denounce Rouge B. His response to that would be, what in the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, like who in the actual fuck is Rouge? Why are we denouncing them? Why do we care? What is this? But if you read, like if you listen to my discussion on why we should be pan-European, as opposed to nationalist, I think this person might be like, oh, well, hmm, that's an interesting take. Wow, I never thought of it that way. Oh my God, he might be right about that. Yeah, this is interesting. It's kind of weirdly progressive, but then, you know, it's also kind of, you know, it's about the race and then, whoa, you know, it's like you can communicate something to him, but like engaging in just endless like purification of the movement is just quite possibly the most useless thing I can imagine. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a piece of work. I mean, I, I yeah. So remember when uh, Joe Biden was condemning Border Patrol agents, right? Uh, bashing them for supposedly whipping immigrants, you know, ordering an investigation, no apology, no retraction from the things he said. Well, a Border Patrol agent who was nearby when the shooting began rushed into the school without waiting for backup and shot and killed the gunman who was behind a barricade. Thank God for this Border Patrol agent. I've noticed too is that like when people are afraid that your opinion might become dominant or your ideas are better uh rather than engage you they'll just um oh sorry did i did i drop there you dropped yeah. out for like five seconds somehow. yeah yeah well when they sense that you may have better ideas or you're onto something and you're sort of changing the conversation and maybe i'm, I'm being a little too like uh, uh i'm sort of blowing smoke up my own ass in this regard because I, I think that i sense that this was one of the problems when people started reacting just in a kind of knee-jerk hostile way to apolloism yeah. uh, in very closed-minded manner and people that weren't you know, uh, Christians per se, or, or explicitly Christians, or... And it, here's a, something that uh, many people in the chat have noted. Media coverage of mass shootings increases the risk of future shootings. Or we're not, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I ultimately, a lot of them were Christians, or de facto Christians, or people who didn't want to alienate Christians, uh, or that sort of thing. Um, but, um, or even crypto Christians in some cases. But um, they, uh, um, I think that they, one way they deal with a threat like Apollism is that they just start insulting you, right? And then, no, no, and it's true. And, and, and really it's, so it just kind of closes the conversation where it's just like, okay, I mean, you know, you're, we can't have a civil conversation because you're just going to start insulting me. And it's sort of, I mean, it's, it's similar to the way, I guess, the leftists deal with um, race realists. This is how um, um, Jared Taylor used to describe it. His uh, aphorism was the most graceless way of admitting you've lost an argument is to start insulting effectively, right? Yeah. And, and uh, 
so I, and I, so I think that that is one just a kind of reaction response that they they'll have when they feel like they're going to lose an argument. They just start insulting. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. They don't make it um, a um, discussion, but they just they just cut it off and just say, you know what, you're a terrible person. Or what? in the case of Greg Johnson, I would say. Um, in the case of uh, uh, Keith Woods, it was more like, uh, you know, you're going after single moms or whatever the guy was saying. You you understand what I'm saying though, right? So it's but you're saying it's single moms. Yeah, yeah. The technique was <laughs> okay. basically to become to just go to just start making ad hominem attacks. Yeah. I think that was, you know, I think that was also true of uh, Greg Johnson with you too. Like he he definitely went from he definitely emotionalized things, and it seemed like there was a point. And this was before I was even involved. I'm not even sure if I was even in touch with you at this point, though I think maybe I was. But you still had a kind of like somewhat stable relationship with him, where again it seemed like you wanted to kind of keep him at hands at arm's yes. length, and you didn't want yeah. him to like, basically be your boss or whatever. Which it seemed like the guy was trying to, you know, assume some kind of leadership over you. Oh and, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but like, we, some kind of council of elders that he would be a member of. But there, there was one really. You were friendly article. though. You were willing to be friendly with the guy though. I, I remember. Oh yeah, definitely. But he just definitely. he emotionalized it when he realized that he didn't. He just wouldn't uh, have like full control of you over you or whatever the yeah. case may be. You know what I mean? Yeah. With the guy though, I, I remember. Oh, yeah, like, he just... each other when they can just do their own thing. I don't understand that behavior. I I don't. I it's 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 a weird thing, and I, I think the other aspect of this is like the the problem with the movement is that there's no real hierarchy and there's no real there's no like at least immediately understandable mission or goal, and you know so like whatever you want to say. Okay, so the problem with the movement, no real hierarchy, meaning I'm not in charge anymore. About conservatism, they do have a goal. Like, their goal was to appoint pro-life Supreme Court justices. And they did it. They accomplished that. Their goal was to re-elect Republicans. They're, they're, or, or, you know, they're going to they're gonna most likely be patting themselves on the back and, you know, guzzling beer, you know, in November of 2022. I, I don't know. Who knows? Things might flip around, but, you know, they'll, they'll be like, we did it, gentlemen. You know, we... Okay, let's get some... Ramsey Paul here with uh, some commentary on the working class, the American right, and uh, Nick Fuentes. America is the wealthiest nation on earth, but its people really are mainly poor, and poor Americans have been urged to hate themselves. Uh, that's a quote from Kurt Vonnegut Jr. in Slaughterhouse-Five, one of my favorite authors. I don't think he could do that book anymore. It was basically an anti-war book. Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Uh, was German ancestry, but he fought for the Americans in World War II. He was captured as a POW, and he, he was taken to Dresden, and he survived the slaughter that happened there, the massacre that the Allies did to the Germans, because he was literally in a slaughterhouse, and he wrote a book talking about it, and he, he became very anti-war, which, uh, considering now, you know, that would be taboo. Uh, but he, he was somewhat cynical. Maybe that's why I relate to him. And one of the things he wrote about is how in America, if you're poor, there's this idea it's your fault because it's easy to make money in America. And if you don't, it means you're lazy, you're stupid, you deserve it. And I think a lot of Europeans have troubles understanding our mindset, but that really is the American mindset. We really look up to people that are rich and flashy, whereas in Europe, a lot of cases, they, they kind of resent that. Or if they are rich, they try to hide it a little bit. They don't try to show it off. And it's a different culture here. And I was reminded of that when I saw a video by Mark Collette. And Mark Collette is a British patriot. Uh, I've had him on my show before. He's, he's quite intelligent and articulate. And he was responding to the America First drama. And like myself, he really supported the movement, the ideas of the movement. But he gave some cautionary warning to like Nick Fuentes on a couple of subjects related to drama. But one of the subjects he brought up was money because Nick likes to brag about how he's a millionaire. He's got his fortune from getting donations from you guys. And he bought a $70,000 car. And, uh, you know, if, if you work for a living, you suck. And he doesn't like people who have to work for the living. They call them wage cucks. And a lot of this is not ironic. This is his his stance. And Mark Collette was like, whoa, whoa, whoa you want to kind of tone that down again a little 
little bit because the people you get your donations from, a lot of these people, they do a lot of work. And say if someone gives you a $20 donation, in a lot of cases, someone makes $20 an hour. That's an hour's worth of their work they're giving to you because they believe what you're doing and for you to spend it on fancy cars and everything else. From a British point of view and a European mindset, it's like, what the hell are you doing? You're, you're, not, you're not being a good steward of the money. And why would anyone give money to you? But see, we in Americans, uh, a lot of Americans, they see that and it's, oh, this is great. This is this means like uh, Nick is divinely blessed. Uh, we have this sort of uh, prosperity theology in America that if you're rich, that means God must love you and you're smart and you have a better insight. Where in, where in Europe, I don't really think they have that so much. So there's really kind of a, a change there. But even in America, I find this a little bit strange because usually when you're a politician, even if you're an elitist, let's say like Joe Biden, you still want to pretend you like people that work for a living. A living. Uh, Joe Biden, years ago when he campaigned, he called himself Lunchbox Joe. And he, he used that terminology to try to invoke an image of him being a union man, you know, working on a job site. He's just one of the guys, but he's going to represent the working collar men in Washington and get at those fat cats, you know, that type of thing. And it was all bullshit. Joe Biden has never worked a job in his life. He hasn't. He, he graduated college. Briefly, he was a lawyer. Then he's been since the early 70s, I think since 1972, he's been a professional parasite. He's been in politics. He's never done anything. And he's worth millions of dollars. And that's a lot of Americans think, you know, that's okay. We even see this with like our TV evangelists years ago. Uh, supposedly they're getting money to help spread the gospel, but instead they're buying these mansions and Rolls Royces. But see, this is really the marriage mindset of bling. It's really hard to explain. Okay, so I just uh, bland uh, Van Bruce uh, Bogtrotter, and uh, he was saying it must be a commandment in, in the Torah for, for Jews to take it up the, the ass. And the fact of the matter is the Torah is the first major document strenuously against homosexuality, declaring it a capital offense. That's how heinous it is. And the prohibition against men having sex with men is repeated in all five books of the Torah. You could not find a more strident anti-homosexual religious text. And that has been the, the whole path of Judaism very strongly against homosexuality. And when, when the Torah came, came out, whether it was 3,200 years ago, 2,600 years ago, it was a radical break with the ethos of the time. So pretty much every other culture in the world just had varying other degrees of acceptance of homosexuality, if not celebration of homosexuality. But the Torah was a radical break from, from the perspective of almost every other culture in the world, which was totally down with being gay. Being gay was great. You know, men should lie down with boys. Right? The Torah is absolutely adamant that men having sex with men is an abomination. So Randy Lenz says, oh, I just want to know, just want to know the rules here. Is it forbidden to say ass? No, it's not forbidden to say ass. But if you want to say something that's heinous, absolutely false, uh, completely, you know, the opposite of what is true and uh, just be obnoxious about it, then I really don't see what, what the benefit is. And uh, Bruce has been a modded, you know, commentator on the show. I'm, I'm happy you know, he's come on here, said, you know, many critical things about Jews and Judaism, and I've been fine with that. But you, you want to come out here and lie and, and allege that, oh, the, the Torah commands Jews to take it up the ass, then you're gone. Explain it, but it's, it's to show your wealth means that you're a good person. That It's almost like God likes you. You even see this like in the lower class people. Let's say the black community where someone might be very poor and live in a very shitty place and hardly have enough food, but they get a little bit of money. What do they do? They buy a big, fancy gold chain because it's a way to show that they're doing well. And you really see that philosophy in it's – it's not – So what percentage of Jews in America are religious? About 
uh, 10%. I mean, 10% ostensibly. All right. Certainly publicly observing the Sabbath. So about uh, 10, 10, 12, 13% of American Jews are Orthodox. And then there are very few non-Orthodox Jews who take their religion seriously economic thing I've noticed too. It's, uh, for example, Ethan Ralph, and I think he's, Ethan Ralph is extremely talented. He kind of plays the bad guy villain and he's able to make a, a lot of money playing that role. So good for him, but he likes to show off. Like, you know, he goes with his fiance to New York city, orders a fancy steak dinner and, you know, he's doing this on donations and, Again, in Europe, you'd be like, oh, wow, you're not being a good steward of your money. But in America, it's like, yeah, cool. And even Ethan Ralph, when he dressed, he goes, oh, I think people want to see me do well and be rich. So it's sort of a, a, a disconnect there. And it's really uh, fascinating. And, and this really came up with Nick Fuentes. He was doing an interview with a guy, a young man. I guess the guy was only 16. Nick didn't realize it. And it's pretty recent. But I just cut out the parts. There's a lot of interesting parts. And I think Nick made a lot of good points about the drama. But he brought up his kind of view of working class people and blue collar workers, people that work with their hands, and Nick's thoughts on that subject. So I didn't want to, you know, a lot of people say, I don't, I'm not making this up. So, so take a look at this. This is his views on that. I didn't say that everybody, see, this is a problem. Is you have like a, what's that banging noise? What's going on? Oh, uh, construction. You'll never do that, Nick. So yeah, don't ask I'm about poor. it. I'm not poor. So I don't live around that mess. I live, I live in a quiet, I live in a quiet place where there's not banging around because I'm not in a fucking tenement. But uh, anyway, so I didn't, but. But I got one more question because, you know, I got to go help my dad with the fucking nail banging. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you got to help your dad? What do you mean? Was he doing construction? Yeah, he's adding to our house. Oh, nice. He's so, a handyman. Yeah. He is a handyman. Maybe I'll hire you guys to come uh, do work oh. on some of my properties. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring you guys lemonade, and you guys, you and your dad can come work on my my real estate. Well, you're in while you're upstairs having sex with cat boys. Yeah. 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 Probably. I mean, I'll get I'll get some good money out of it. I mean, I don't yeah, you will. You will probably because I, you know, I, I have a lot of money. So yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be banging. I'll be going balls deep upstairs while you and your dad toil away. <laughs> so you're admitting to being gay. You're admitting to being gay. I mean, no, I'd rather be. I'll be going balls deep. Bang, deep banging with cat boy Tommy. I finished my point. You told me it's a deflection. Okay, I have one more question. So, okay. you know, you're shitting on the nail bangers, the fucking blue collar, right? Yeah, right. So, you're trying to appeal to these people. What are you going to say? I'm, what trying to appeal, to? I'm trying to appeal to rich people, actually. I thought you were trying to appeal to the masses. I'm an elitist. All right. Richard Spencer? Um, yeah, kind of. All right. Well, I got to go bang some nails, so. Now, now, some of this is funny, and I get that, but I, Nick has said stuff like this really pretty consistently that. You know, he's an elitist, and if you work with your hands, you're kind of beneath him. That, that's the view, and uh, you're a... Wait, that's hilarious to think of uh, Nick Fuentes imagining himself as an elite leader speaking to the elite. He, he pitches his show at about a 100 IQ level. Uh, Richard Spencer pitches his delivery to about a 120 IQ level. Uh, there's nothing, you know elite about Nick Fuentes and, and his show and, and his movement. It is, it is, if it's a working class movement, it, it's, it's the equivalent of, of the New York post, right? It's a, a tabloid show, tabloid presentation, down market, low IQ. And this idea that, that he's appealing to the elite is absurd. Wage cut, they call it. And to me, I, I don't think this is the way to go. And even if you go back into history with some right-wing groups, I won't say which groups, but they valued the working man. Even the communists supposedly valued the working man. Now, it didn't always work out that way, but there was an, an idea that we should respect people that do those types of jobs. I, I've always worked my life. I started working when I was 15 years old as a dishwasher, probably one of the shittiest jobs you can have and really dirty job, pay not much. And then, you know, I worked my way through college and then I had a white collar job, but I was still a wage cut almost all my life. It wasn't, I was just, you know, didn't have to do anything for the money. And I think most people are that way. And, and there's nothing wrong with working for money, but Nick really has this real elitist attitude that no, no, you're, you're, if you were nothing wrong, 
working for money as long as it's legal and you're not ashamed of it as long as it's not immoral it's the most noble thing you can do it's about the noblest thing the most ennobling about the most pro-social most healthy thing you can do is to make money with your hands you're yeah you're kind of stupid and i i'm just for the elite for the rich people and he said stuff like this when it came to city folks versus rural uh nick many times has made fun of uh well like where i live rural people like they're stupid they're dumb hicks and you know he, he has and to me, this has been a strange philosophy for a political party because the people that would support most of Nick's America first ideas. And a question in the chat, which American pundit speaks to the highest IQ crowd? And there aren't any. Uh, there aren't any American pundits who speak to a crowd above 105, unless you're talking about bloggers such as Steve Saylor. So Steve Saylor probably pitches his blog at the, the 120 IQ level. Uh, Greg Cochran, 120 IQ level. But as far as pundits who are on network TV or in the major newspapers, we're talking nobody who who pitched themselves above perhaps uh, 110 IQ level. I mean, correct me, who, who do you think are the American pundits who pitched to the highest IQ level? Are would naturally be like working class whites or people that are in the country, like my neighbors here, the ranchers. And by the way, my neighbor's not poor. He's worth millions, probably worth more than Nick. Uh, but he's definitely a, has a ranch and he's 80 years old. Yeah, so Richard Spencer or Greg Johnson and Jared Taylor, they pitch themselves to average IQ crowd of like 115 to 120. Uh, Kevin McDonald pitches himself to probably, you know, 120 IQ years old and he's still out moving rocks and doing everything. Uh, but th- those would be the type of people that would support a, a movement. But if the movement says, no, you're, you're just dumb, you're stupid, heck, we don't want you, you work with your hands, you're a wage cock, uh, you, you can say you're saying this ironically, but people don't hear it that way. They hear it as you're a real elitist. And if you're like, yeah, yeah, I am elitist. Well, okay, but a lot of people are going to say, well, screw you. I'm not going to send you any money. You're, you're rich. You don't obviously need my money. You can do your own thing. And why should I support a movement that doesn't support yeah. what I do or my family or you know, a lot of our families or people that work hard? Those people aren't necessarily bad people or they're not necessarily stupid. Uh, they can be very good people that do that. So this sort of snobbery is really uh, fascinating. And it's kind of interesting how Nick, when that guy asked, well, you're sort of like Richard Spencer, because Richard Spencer always had this idea that he was a... So what happened, I think, because I've gotten into the same sort of trouble, is that Nick made some sort of wage cuck remark once, just because when you're live streaming, all right, successful live streamer, successful comic, you kind of get out of the prefrontal cortex and you just start saying things that, that fall into your into your head. And... Nick probably just found it amusing to say something edgy once about being a wage cock. And then the problem is you start forming neural pathways. And so he got into a downward spiral of just repeating and building on this anti-working class, anti-wage cock uh, spiral. It's just perhaps part of his overall downward spiral. Elite, and he was above everyone. And they said, yeah. And I'm like, wow, this is not a good comparison. You don't want to compare yourself to Richard Spencer. And so I, it's, it's kind of disturbing, but it's really more to me in a fascinating phenomenon how in America, and I don't know if this is so much, maybe European viewers, you guys can answer this, but uh, I guess I'm sort of European at, at heart because I find this sort of offensive. People, you know, like, oh, I mean, millions off you suckers. And yeah, screw you. You guys are losers. I don't want- so I'd say that uh, Sticks and Hammer probably pitches himself to about a 105 IQ uh, Paul Joseph Watson, probably 105 IQ level. I don't really watch many commentators on the left, but the hosts of Decoding the Gurus, all right, they're both center left. And uh, I'd say they, they pitch their show at about the 115, 120 IQ level.
want to associate with you. Oh, you work with your hands. What a dumb shit. I, I don't work with my hands. I don't even work at all. <laughs> you know, that type of thing kind of rubs, I think, a lot of people the wrong way. But in America, I guess some people, they're like, oh, well, uh, you know, I, I guess they deserve it. We're stupid and we got to keep on giving. I, I don't like that. I don't like that mentality. I think we need more of a mentality. Yeah, I can't think of any pundit who speaks to a higher IQ level than Kevin McDonald, uh, Greg Johnson, Richard Spencer. I mean, they're pitching uh, above the average American college graduate. That doesn't mean they're right or that they're profound or that they're moral, but they are delivering to an audience at about the, the 115, 120 level. ...of America first, that is for all people, including people that work. In fact, I consider people that work, that like drive the trucks, that work in manufacturing, that pave our roads. So Keith Woods probably pitches at about the, the 105 to 110 IQ level. I'm talking real work. I'm not talking gender studies professors, but people that actually do real work, even white collar work like engineers. Yeah, Nathan Kaufness probably pitches to about the 120 IQ level. So I think my own IQ is about 125. So I'm probably not going to understand anyone who's, say, above 140 or doctors, I consider you guys to be the backbone. You guys make everything work. You guys are what we should really esteem. And entertainers, and again, I'm not a communist. Entertainers, they can make a lot of money, and that's fine, like Johnny Depp or whatever. But I, I think... Okay, let's see if uh, Lauren Southern... It's, it's alpha masculini one, actually. Has anything interesting to say. I will talk to whoever I want, whether they are right-wing or left-wing, but I'm going to call it a right-wing stream. That's why I'm going to address that one, okay? Listen, Evelyn Ray, she's pretty right-wing. Nuance Pro, I don't know. You're, you're going to get the full spectrum tonight. You know what? According to the far left on Twitter, Destiny is a far right as well anyway. So this is a fully far right stream. Two, I drink too much. I'm hearing this from more than just the Discord. I hear you people, and I'd love to have a comeback for you, but you got me on this one, all right? You got me. So we're going to try to go the whole night, just water. This is Right Wing Alcoholics Anonymous. Proud of you for holding me accountable, chat. Proud of you. Three, when I talk to liberals, when I go on liberal streams, they just want me to apologize the whole time. And you're sick and tired of these conversations. Lauren, how many more drag through the mud, great replacement, your old videos, conversations are you going to have with these people? I hear this all the time. I actually just did one. Uh, you can go watch it. I think Destiny just uploaded it with this lawyer named Pisco, Pisco. I don't know. And you know what? They haven't gotten me to apologize yet. So I'm happy to keep running the gauntlet. Plus, if you look at some of the reactions, I think the title of this video is You Should Apologize, literally. If you look at some of the reactions, people aren't too convinced. They're not too convinced by the lefties I'm chatting to. Let's read some of these comments. This is the second debate I've heard Peace go in, and both times he seems to rely on... Wait, 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 okay, ignore this. This is coming from a person that believes that birth rates have nothing to do with spreading culture, so I agree with him way more than Lauren on this issue, yet after 41 minutes in, he has yet to make a convincing argument. Guys, we're winning them over, I swear. It's just a war of attrition. I have to keep going on these lefty podcasts, and eventually, we'll get there. I came into this thinking Pisco would just stomp on Lauren, and the preview made it sound like she was being ridiculous, but she's way more sound than Pisco in this. Pisco is saying a bunch of wishy-washy crap, like language doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. I feel like Pisco has literally never been outside of his neighborhood. We are going to win this war, all right? We're going to win this tug of war. I just have to do 7,000 more. Lauren, we want you to apologize conversations without apologizing, and we're going to win, all right? <laughs> okay, what's on the agenda for today? We'll be chatting with Evelyn, obviously, Nuance Bro, Destiny. Uh, I think I'm gaming with him, but I did have some stuff I wanted to confront him about, so you might get a little debate later. We're going to be talking about whether women should be allowed to ride horses or not. If you follow my if you follow my Twitter, you will have seen an incredible thread by some Manosphere account saying, don't let your wives and daughters ride horses because they're just doing it because they want to orgasm. I'm, I wish I were joking, but this is a serious account. We're going to go over this with Evelyn. As a woman who is right-wing, trad, but also rides horses. We need to get her opinion on this. Uh, of course, we're going to be talking about the recent shootings in the States. Obviously, the shooting today, absolutely tragic, horrific stuff. Not going to be going over really the details of it because you don't get any of that in the first 24 hours. You just shouldn't, you shouldn't make any claims about a mass shooting in the first 24 hours. You're setting yourself up for ridiculous failure, but more so, um, Nuance Bro and I will probably be chatting about gun laws and the conversation surrounding it, what the future is going to look like after these events. Actually, I think there was just a mass killing like five days ago in, it was either Norway? 
Uh, a guy with a bow and arrow killed five people, like an actual bow and arrow. I think I saw uh, counterpoints retweet the footage. Absolutely insane. Um, then there was a few other uh, crime cases that I wanted to talk uh, with Nuance Bro about. And then, yeah, that gaming with Destiny and confrontation. I've heard Lauren is grifting. She's grifting the real right-wing movement, true or not. Well, do I have a story for you, Joe? I think I saw someone say this at the very beginning of the stream. They said, oh, wait, I have to find this. Oh, no, where did it go? Oh, they were asking if this was going to be Lauren's big expose stream that she keeps talking about. It's coming. The problem is, I'm working on this huge manifesto. And I know I'm, I shouldn't use the word manifesto. I keep specifying the good kind FBI. It's a good kind of manifesto, all right? Most of it is written. It's really freaking funny, too. It's, it's half really depressing and half really funny, but it's about all of my time. Yeah, so I've been talking about the positive side uh, the, of the, the gay bathhouse. That, that's what I want to recreate. And not the side where there's you know, promiscuous sex and homosexual sex and all that sin going on. Like, I, I want to create a positive manifesto, like a, the positive side of the gay bathhouse, because... I may be naive here, but I, I kind of think of the gay bathhouse as like an Elks Lodge or a Rotary Club. It's like it's a bunch of guys getting together to do good, right, to volunteer in schools, to mentor at-risk youths, you know, to teach, to educate, to to uplift. Right, let, let, let's, let's think about the positive side of the gay bathhouse and what we can learn from that. I'm in politics and all of the stuff I have never told any of you in detail. We're going to get right into the nitty gritty of it all. Um, it's a lot. I'm going to be burying my soul, but I want it to look good. So I spent years, <laughs> years working on it. And now I'm finally like, no, Lauren, this is the final draft. You're, you just got to do it. But I've had a professional film crew come out. I was going to upload a vlog today. I might upload it tomorrow now. Um, I'm just doing some shooting and off-roading with uh, one of my film crew friends. But uh... Okay, there's a lot I'm sure that uh, Lauren Southern can be criticized I don't have any strong negative feelings about Lauren Southern, but I think there's a lot that can be learned from her. She is successful at what she does, right? And she apparently has done it without destroying her life. She's managed to maintain a sense of reality while pursuing uh, political goals that are important to her. And then stepping away from the political game to get married, to have a kid, and to make her her private life a priority so i don't know a great deal about lauren southern but she seems to be seems to be someone who is doing some things right and fairly effectively um, yeah that's that's definitely gonna be coming out in june for sure i've got a second film crew friend coming over to assist early june to complete it all but i i honestly truly out of everything i've done this is gonna be the best this is gonna be the best work i've ever done and half of you are gonna hate it you're gonna hate it and then the other half of you are gonna be mind blown that's what it's gonna be all right i, I might i'm not sure if i'm gonna gain half a million subscribers or lose half a million subscribers but either way it's gonna feel damn good for my soul all right uh marushia dark says personally i prefer the gun control is racist line of attack it's historically accurate going back in the u.s versus crookshank with the disarming and murder of black people by the dems slash clan I mean, there are actually, if you look at it, there are a lot of um, BLM people that are picking up, creating their own, like, gun clubs and gun groups now, saying, yeah, if you truly believe the government are going to be this white supremacist fascist nation and that's the direction that America is headed, then you probably do want to be armed, right? All right, all right, let's get Evelyn on the call with us. I made her download Discord. I'm a horrible friend. She's like, Lauren, I, I don't understand how this app works. <laughs> I've never used this before, but let me, uh, wait. Okay, actually, I had three other things I wanted to talk about before bringing Evelyn on, but I'll just talk about it with Evelyn while I'm setting up her face. Brett Sassums says, thanks for making the documentary Farmlands and raising awareness on what is happening in South Africa. Thank you, Brett. Uh, that is a documentary I have always been proud of and will always be proud of. You're not going to see me. If you're expecting this manifesto I'm working on to be like a giant apology for everything I've ever done in my life because you're a liberal that now follows me from the other shows I do, that's not what it's going to be. You'll still probably enjoy it. But um, no, I, I really like the, the documentaries that I've made. Evelyn, is that you? Are you with us? 
Yeah, you're here. Okay, say something again. I need to check your levels. Uh, g'day from Australia, everybody. There's that. There's that Australian accent. G'day, <laughs> g'day, mate. Uh, okay, can you put your face on screen? Everyone, people aren't here to see me. They're here to see you. They want that blonde woman. I tried. I got a few blonde streaks in the front, but it's just not enough. That's another thing I get a lot of emails about. People are like, Lauren, go back to blonde. I hate you now. <laughs> can you see me? No, Is I it? can't see. Okay, wait. I think I can. Yeah, I can now. Perfect. Now I just have to put you on screen. It's gonna take me a moment. You're looking cute today. Okay, share your webcams. This is gonna work. Um, can I hear you now? Say something. Hello, Perfect. again. Okay, sorry. <laughs> booming. Absolutely booming right now. Um, last night, I was, I, while I'm setting up your camera, I just want to bring this up. Last night, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about how there's a lot of similarities between <laughs> strippers and uh, serial killers. <laughs> Does any of that make sense to you? Am I full on schizo posting right now? Say it again. Serial there's, killers and who? There's a lot of similarity between serial killers and strippers. Okay, wait. I need to see more headspace above you before I... Right. Uh, that's a, bit, a little more. Sorry. I'm, actually, you know what? It's fine. I, I don't want a conversation last night with my mate about this. They are both things, both serial killers and strippers. They're both things that men and women pursue at their most desperate points in life. All right? We got this. They both utilize the most base and easily accessible skill of each gender. So women, their sexuality, that has the most power over men. One of their skills. And then men, their strength and violence has the most power over women. With both, I was going to say jobs. Serial killer isn't really a career though. They're both things that people are both horrified but fascinated by. I mean, if you look at Tumblr, you've got all these girls that'll take like you know, serial killers and send them like love notes and stuff. And then obviously strippers, men go and uh, pay money to see them. Anyways, <laughs> what do you think of this terrible theory that we have? I think you got the first part right in that it's probably terrible. Um, and yeah, this is something I've actually never thought about at great lengths before, but it doesn't surprise me that you have. You're a deep thinker like this. I'm probably a little bit more simple, I think, than you. And happier for it, I'm sure. Someone just said <laughs> hard disagree strippers want to strip. Yeah, and, and serial killers want to murder people. I don't understand what the point is. I'm not saying strippers are bad people. I'm, I'm just saying there's a lot of similarities. <laughs> With the motivations, all right? You know what? We're not going to... Yeah, you know what? It's a massive stretch, but I'm over it. There's probably a lot of parallel with sexual perversion, to be honest. There, If you actually listen or talk to a lot of serial killers, I think Ted Bundy did like a whole thing about it, how stripping and then porn and then all those sorts of things contributed to him being a serial killer. Did you know I've been getting prison letters from a serial killer for the last few years? I think you have mentioned this before. I mean... I've never responded, but... <laughs> um, yeah, I found it the funniest thing ever. I was like, why am I getting these like prison letters? And it has like the official like prison... Um, what, what prison they're at and everything and I opened it I remember reading the letter for the first time and the, the guy puts up such a nice front he didn't he, he neglected to mention at any point in his lovely letter that he had murdered a bunch of people so I thought that was maybe something you should yeah probably... every porn star that I knew would get a lot of letters from men in prison probably include when you send someone a letter instead of oh and I grew up here and these are my hobbies and blah 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 you forgot you murdered a bunch of people bud maybe I don't want to chat with you because of that <laughs> anyways that's um... a bit scary Brett says, I respect Australia's defense minister, Peter Dutton. He has raised awareness on the farm murders in South Africa when he was an MP. Thanks for interviewing Ian Cameron. Great people. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, Evelyn, what the hell is going on in Australia? What happened with you people? I'm still recovering, to be honest. Uh, so worst case scenario pretty much unfolded in our recent election over the weekend, our federal election. And it's been overtaken by... Uh, our Labour Party, which in American terms would be like Democrats, but it's not just the Democrats. If you can imagine an environmental, green, climate alarmist government, uh, it's that as well as Democrats combined together, and that's who's now going to be in charge of our country. Now, I liked your tweets where you were talking about, because this is exactly what happened in Canada. Your Conservative Party, or they're called the Liberals there, basically became left-wing to try to win more voters or pander, and epically lost because of it. This is exactly what happened in Canada as well. What was your tweet on that? I can't remember. I just basically said that if you fence it in politics, the only thing you're going to achieve is splinters in your butt because... Yeah, well, the Conservatives were in power for 10 years in Australia and they did nothing conservative. They didn't accomplish anything. They were just uh, weak 
sweet tea. What you're basically doing is you're trying to appease to a voter base that is never likely going to vote for you, all while single-handedly alienating the people who would vote for you. And that's exactly what our Liberal uh, Party over here in Australia did. They came into power for the last nine years, basically under the the veneer, the surface covering of being conservative, being more uh, libertarian and freedom and respecting small businesses and the economy and all of those sorts of things. Um, And so we all voted for them. And then Mm. they've changed. And now they're like, coal is evil, climate lockdowns, maybe we should do that. The Liberal government also are the ones who locked us in our homes through COVID for the last two and a half, nearly three years. And unfortunately, their voter base just flipped them the bird and said, sucked in, we're not going to vote for you now. But they're, you know, as much as like every one of us wanted to say to the Liberal government, get stuffed, like you you guys absolutely kneecapped us. At the same time, a lot of us were looking at the long-term trajectory and going, there's two evils. Both parties are birds of the same feather right now, but one's just at a different level of degeneracy or further down the road. Um, and so as much as we tried to tell people, you know, you might be sticking the finger up at Scott Morrison, the Liberal government, the Anthony Albanese and the Greens party, the teal seats are going to be even worse because they're further down the road. But anyway. I'm even more screwed than I am before. <laughs> yep. Can't give context on that one yet, chat, but uh, Australia has not been too kind to me lately. Uh, oh, just got a super chat from Arisha Dark on my uh, stripper versus serial killer <laughs> comparison. They said both know how to finish a man. All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm actually going to, I'm wondering, you know, we'll start the conversation and then I'll invite a man in for his analysis of this. But I wanted to talk <laughs> to you today about how you have lost your status as a woman in the right wing um, because yeah. you, you ride horses. Is that correct? Let me just get all the facts here. <laughs> I handed in my resignation from right wing Twitter recently. I did. Yes. Um, it was a sad. Okay. I can uh, do without the rest of that. That'll do it. Bye-bye.